Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast. And this week is episode one, two, three. Sounds like we're starting our Sesame Street counting this oh. week, <laughs> Jackie. And we are interviewing Mark Hancock. Jackie, you got to know Mark through... Yes, so I met... No, I didn't. We met Mark through the Keto WhatsApp group, the London Keto WhatsApp group. And he put on there a post in, I think, 2019 that he was going off to Low Carb Universe to talk on the stage with Bitter and Hannah. And I invited him to come on the podcast, but we never got round to making that appointment. And I've he sent me his photo and everything. I've had his photo stored away for all these years. And then I met him again at um, PHC in May. And I said, Mark, when are you going to come on the podcast? And he said, yes, we must do it. And that's how we got booked in eventually. I'd totally forgotten that. Yeah, that, that's where we first first met Mark in the WhatsApp group. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. The, the keto, low-carb worlds, you know, we, we're like ships in the night, aren't we? Yeah. And sometimes you don't even know who they are. And But I recognise Mark because he sent me his photo. So I knew what he looked like. Right. And so, so I in, him and introduced myself yeah. and said, "Hey, when you're coming on?" Yeah, it, it's it's a bit hard when you know in in like in a WhatsApp group, you just sort of known by your name, not your full name. So, oh, Mark, that's right, Mark from the WhatsApp group. That's right. <laughs> yeah, although we have been linked together on Twitter for quite some time as well. Right. Well, we'll put all these contact details in our show notes and we can, you know, certainly the the listeners will get to know Mark a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Mark? So Mark says that in 2005, he left his job in banking. So he became self-employed after that time. And he felt the stress of obviously a, a you know, a sedentary job and a lifestyle, which really contributed to his diagnosis of type 2 diabetes in eventually in 2010. He was only 39. And at that time, he weighed 102 kilos, which was 224 pounds. And he says he felt sluggish, overweight, tired, and just felt, you know, run down. And he realized that he has the symptoms of diabetes without really knowing about it, you know, and some really quite odd symptoms, you know, we don't typically associate like thrush and a tingly foot. 
So he just really didn't know how bad he felt until he got a whole lot better. I'm sort of starting giving a bit of few hints away, aren't we? And when he was diagnosed, of course, you know, the standard care and advice to eat well, guide and lose weight, thinking that he needed to cut out all the unhealthy takeaways, which which he did do. But he also turned a corner because when you eat less and move more, Mark took that message on board with running. And together with the medication, he was able to get his weight under control and his blood sugar became quite, you know, quite well in 2016. But things started to sort of increase again. All things changed when he happened to hear Dr. Michael Mosley being interviewed on the radio. He then went out and bought Dr. Mosley's book, The Eight-Week Blood Sugar Diet, and he gave it a go. So he cut out all the bread, pasta, rice and sugar, no more breakfast cereals, no more potatoes with his dinner. He even started cooking. Mm. Isn't that amazing? So he lost nearly 20 kilos 44 pounds and he you know managed to get his weight under control and his diabetes is in remission and he feels much better both mentally as well as physically so mark is as you said an ambassador for the public health collaboration which has really been a great as a great advocate to open the doors and helping others put their type 2 diabetes into remission he's also working with his local primary care network and has put on a low-carb program for, obviously, his um, area's patients and combined with movement. And we'll hear more about his movement to be able to manage stress, prioritise sleep, and has had some wonderful outcomes. So let's hear from Mark. Welcome to the Fabulous Keto Podcast. Mark, it's great to have you with us today. Oh, lovely to see you too, Louise. Well, we like to usually start by asking our guests, where in the world are you? Uh, right, so I'm in Portsmouth, which is in the south of um, the UK. Um, so, um, yeah, lived here all my life. Yeah. And that's down down in the south, isn't it? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, right down in the south. So it's um, we're just sort of just above the Isle of Wight. Um, uh, so um, yeah, so I'd like to think we get the best weather i don't know if that's true but uh but yeah we we um yeah we love it down here in the south so uh yeah it's great nice to be by the sea oh that's great so what we'll do is we'll maybe you know for the listeners who may not be familiar with your little story if you can give us a bit of a recap of what brought you to this way of you know this lifestyle this way of eating uh well i suppose really i I, it, it goes all the way back to um big diagnosed type 2 diabetic which was uh in 2010 and I was 39 um and um <clears throat> it was um a bit of a shock at the time although now looking back I think probably I, I shouldn't have been too surprised because um uh, my normal sort of day job I'm a financial advisor and I worked for a bank um I left the bank and uh, set up in business on my own and we walked into a the financial crisis around 2007, 2008 time. Uh, so that was pretty particularly stressful. I had a young family. Um, uh, I also, uh, I lost my brother. Uh, he died quite young. Um, and so there was a lot of things that were going on at that particular time. I was sort of running around between appointments and trying to um, make a success of the, uh, of the business. And I know that I was eating the wrong things and I didn't really give any time 
not particularly to things like exercise and things like that. I just uh, dashed around eating the wrong things, late night pizzas in the office and that, and that type of thing. And it was only when I was trying to sort out some life cover for myself um, with having a young family that uh, I, a part of the process is the nurse comes out to see you and she run a, a variety of sort of tests on me. And, um, and then one thing led to another uh, where I had to be sent for a lot more tests um, uh, and they picked up that there was a bit of sugar uh, in my system. Um, and, um, uh, and then I didn't really hear anything. I went for a, a rafter test, didn't really hear anything. And then I, I phoned up the GP uh, local surgery and said, what, uh, what, what was the outcome of all those tests? And they said, oh, we're so pleased that you phoned because we need to book you in with our diabetic nurse. Um, and that was kind of how I found out that I was type two diabetic. Um, and of course, so, you know, what you do is you go online and you start looking at all the horrible things that can go wrong. Um, and so I remember being particularly worried, young family. I was quite young, really, to get it. At least that's what I was thinking. And I thought, you know, I'm supposed to have many years ahead of me and all now I can see our problems in the future. So it was a pretty scary time. So 39 and, yeah, had you sort of been sort of feeling unwell or, I mean, you had sort of mentioned, yeah, you you were obviously not eating right and you were quite stressful, but had you sort of seen or felt any of those sorts of pre- or diabetic complications it's a it's a funny thing really because when you look at the symptoms and I remember looking at those pretty pretty much after I saw the nurse I was looking at you know symptoms of diabetes because I started to think well have I got this and um they're all a little bit vague um but you so so when these things are happening to you you don't really take that much pay much attention to it so it might be that you're, you're getting a bit more thirsty um uh, there was one particular symptom. I mean, apart from the fact that I got pretty big, uh, you know, I was, you know, quite a few stone heavier than I am now. Um, and um, uh, but one particular symptom was that I was laying in bed at night with itchy foot. Uh, it was so strange because I, this had been going on for ages. I hadn't even told my wife about it. Uh, it just I kept waking up in the night with this itch. Um, and it used to drive me mad. I used to sort of rub my foot on the, you know, on the sheets trying to get rid of this itch. Um, and of course, then I started to, when I started to look at the symptoms, I started to realize that actually that played into it as well. Um, I had other, I was, I got flush, kept coming back. Um, you know, that was another thing that I saw that it was a symptom. Um, and, um, but you know, at the time, even when I went to see a doctor, he just sort of said, oh, here's, have some cream, you know. And so it, it kind of, it, you know, you just don't re- don't think anything of it. So there were all little things that happened. Um, but um, but I never sort of thought, oh, God, you know, I've got a serious problem here. These are just little irritants. Yeah. You, and you sort of don't want to think about it either, do you? No, I suppose not. I mean... <laughs> You know, when when there are a lot of things going on in your life, and I know we've all got things going on in life, you know, we all have stresses and strains. We all have things that are being thrown at you. Um, And perhaps sometimes to lighten how we feel, we look for other ways to try and (laughs) make ourselves happier. And that might be diving into a McDonald's on (laughs) on the way to work. Or that might be, oh, do you know what? I've worked really hard today. Let's get a takeaway tonight. You know, 
those sorts of things are you you start to move towards because it kind of makes you feel happier about your situation although albeit temporarily because it doesn't last particularly long um but yeah i i I don't know. I mean, like I said, when I look at the look at the situation, I knew that I put on weight. I knew I wasn't in very good shape. Um, but I also knew I had a hell of a lot going on in my life and I probably didn't have the time or the inclination to do anything about it. Yeah. And stress, we know, is a big impact on on our health. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't sleeping right either. Um, and I talk about those other things that you say, you you know, you look for other sort of pleasures in your life. I got into playing online poker and I, I got really good at it. <laughs> but, but one of the problems with getting really good at it is really late nights. Because if you get knocked out in the early stages, well, that's over by about, you know, nine o'clock in the evening or something like that. But then if you if it goes on, you can be two o'clock in the morning and still playing. Um, and of course, so... I was thinking, wow, yeah, this is great. It's kind of like this is supplementing my income as well. You know, it helps with with the stresses and strains. But of course, I wasn't sleeping right either. So we had sleep issues, we had stress issues, wasn't really finding any time to do any kind of exercise and I wasn't eating well either. So should I have been shocked at, you know, that that I had this type 2 diabetes diagnosis? Probably not. But I know at the time when they told me, you just get this heart sinking feeling and you think, yeah, I did this to myself. What was the NHS, like the diabetes nurse, um, what did they recommend? Um, she was lovely, really lovely. And I didn't, um, I thought, I'm, you know, I'm going to be useless at picking up all this information because, you know, suddenly you're having to learn about a whole new thing. Um, and I thought, I'm going to have a, some, a limited time with this nurse and I've got to try and pick up everything I can. Uh, in my meeting with her so I said to my wife at the time um you know I said Could, would you mind coming along um and uh, because you know you do a lot of the cooking as well in the house and it would be really useful for you to be there and then between us hopefully we can pick up as much information as we can um and so she came along we and the lady sat sat us down and uh because at that point I was thinking I have no idea what I can eat I haven't got a clue. Everything I looked at in the cupboards or anything that looked like it was going to harm me in some way. Uh, and uh, so I was completely lost uh, as to what to eat. And she then sort of introduced me to the Eat Well guide, Eat Well plate. And um, and so, um, and, it, and it, you know, it did make sense. It made sense to me because I was looking, I was thinking, right, okay, well, on, on the left side, you had that green section, which had all the fruits and vegetables and things and we'd all been told to have five fruit and veg a day at least and so I you know I can see that there was benefit there uh, I could see that there was this low fat section where we've all been told to have low fat so that made sense as well and then there was this big sort of yellow section the sort of starchy carbohydrates um and when I we looked at that she was saying right okay so I want you to make some swaps now so instead of when you have rice I don't want you to have white rice I want you to have basmati rice I was like, I don't even know what basmati rice is. <laughs> but clearly it must be better for me. So um, so we went out and bought basmati rice. And it wasn't only me that was eating it. My wife Heather was eating it. We gave it to the boys. We thought, well, you know, if it's got if it's healthy for me, it's got to be healthy for them as well. Um, so they started eating it. Instead of um, 
a, a white pasta. It was kind of like a brown sort of pasta. Um, and in the bread, they were saying, don't have white bread, but have sort of seeded bread um, and to inc include that in your in your diet all the time. Um, and so, you know, I made all these changes. We just kind of like ripped everything up that we we kind of had been doing before. And of course, at the same time, I stopped having, you know, the takeaways, uh, visiting the baguette shop at lunchtime, which no doubt the baguette shop's probably gone bust now because I was probably their number one customer. Um, so, uh, so uh, we, 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 you know, they, they went. Um, and um, so I started to feel better because I'd changed, I'd kind of reduced a lot of the really obvious bad stuff that was in my diet. I took that out. And I made those changes as far as what the the the, the world plate was telling us to do. So what happened? Uh, I lost weight. Yeah. Uh, so um, you know, I started to feel pretty good about myself, um, and I thought, wow, this you know, this is good. Um, and um, I, I changed my clothes. Uh, I remember um, remember uh, going down a couple of sizes in jeans, um, and um, uh, and going to um, a, a local clothes shop and I had to change everything because I'd lost you know lost a, a chunk of weight and uh and I had all these shop assistants running back it's like, it like the scene out of Pretty Woman you know I was having people running back to the forwards <laughs> get me new jeans new trousers new <laughs> you know all this sort of stuff um and I started to uh you know change everything and I sort of felt really good and then there was also a friend of mine who um she had never been get got into any kind of fitness or anything like that. Um, and then she started doing the couch to 5K. She started running. I didn't really know about a couch to 5K at that point, but she'd been running and she started doing races and things. And I thought, oh, my God, that's like amazing. I mean, I can't even run around the block. You know, I've, I've done I've done the bit where you go, well, let's just run. See if I can go around the local area and you get halfway around you go, <clears throat> and you're dying. And then you kind of like clamber home and then you think, well, I'll go again in a couple of days because I must have improved by then. Uh, and of course, you get two days later, even worse than the first time. Um, so uh, so I tried one and it was awful. And um, uh, but she kept nagging me. She kept saying, look, I can do it. You can do it. So um, so eventually uh, I think it was about six months or so after um, diagnosis. Uh, of type two she finally got me to bring some trainers along and we went down a local park and um and we did a little bit of jogging and a little bit of walking a little bit of jogging walking and she said and she said see you can do it and i went well that's not really what that's not running though is it and she said well that's the start of something called the couch to 5k and i sort of looked into it and i thought wow this is amazing look and i had this plan so i followed it and um and before within a, a week or so heather started following it as well um and then the boys started getting into running um and uh and within six weeks i was i was on the start line of a local road race uh where these elite well they looked like elite athletes to me <laughs> so i was then limbering up and everything else and i thought oh my god what the hell have i done but my friend was there as well and i thought i you know when this finishes, or by the time I finished, the lights would have gone out, everyone would have gone home, they'd have packed everything away. It was a 10K road race. I thought it'll be dark, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but it wasn't anything like that. And um, I remember sort of a few minutes into the run, I sort of glanced over my shoulder just to see there were all these people behind me. And it was like, 
oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm in the middle, <laughs> somewhere in the middle. And, you know, even now, I think that was an amazing feeling. When I crossed that finish line, uh, a 10K, um, uh, was, even now, I've done loads of races and things and run since. But even now, that's still the most magical moment uh, was was um, was crossing that finish line at that time. So things were looking up. Excellent. Was it a bit like Rocky and you're going up the up the <laughs> stairs? You know, dun it dun That sort of stuff. Be a triumph. <laughs> but it's it's an amazing sort of thing. But but you know, like you said, you'd lost weight. You were feeling better. You'd cleaned up your diet. But I'm curious to know about your HB1AC. So what was the actual sort of, you know, you were cleaning things up, but were you getting any better in terms of your diabetes status? Well, it's interesting. Interesting at the time because yeah, obviously you keep going back for reviews, don't you? And um, and the nurse was saying, Oh, you're doing brilliantly. Am I? Yeah, great. Oh, if only all my diabetics are like you. Okay, great. <laughs> that, that was kind of the conversation. Were, so, you, were you on medication at this point? Yeah, I was put on medication straight away. Right. Straight away. So I was on to, uh, two metformin straight away. Uh, and um, uh, I, I know at the time, because there were different numbers to what they are now in the UK. So at the time they were saying a diagnosis, I was 10, they said. Um, so uh, which, you know, um, didn't sound good. Um, uh, but, um, uh, uh, then, um, but then after that numbers changed, so that got all a bit confusing and, uh, and you weren't really, she never really sort of said anything about, she just said, if only all my diabetics were like you doing running and, and things like that. So I kind of wasn't really told anything, but I just kept going back and having my bloods taken and, and that type of thing. So I don't really know where I was. I just felt, you know, that I was doing everything I could. Um, you know, they'd already, you know, they'd already painted the picture of it being chronic and progressive. You know, that, 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 they'd said that. You um, could have lost the weight through the metformin, though, couldn't you? Yeah, could have done. Of, irrespective of what you ate. Uh, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, I, know, I know I just, you know, I, I was pleased because, I mean, everybody uses that as a metric of, of, of getting better, don't they, or, or sorting their life out. They, I suppose, you know, the average person probably doesn't really think about the medication and the tablets and the their their, their actual health that when they actually start losing weight they think wow things are moving in the right direction and, ev and everything's good and of course i turned my life around in as much as i was throwing myself into into all the running and i thought i'm doing everything i can here i know i know you've told me it's chronic and progressive i know that my meds are going to probably go up at some point and it's going to get more separate. I'm going to do my damnedest to try and slow that down as much as I can, even if it's going to get worse. Um, and that was always the thing that was in the back of my mind. Yeah. So but did the medication go down? Did they take you off the medication or is eventually or? No, I mean, it, it, it sort of progressed in as much as, um, but in, I, I mean, that was, I was diagnosed uh in 2010 i think i think it was about four years later i started to hear uh noises about how you can put diabetes into remission um and uh and they were talking about the study being done in newcastle and and that sort of thing and at the time i said to my nurse I said can i do that you know is this something i can do and she said no it's a very 
restrictive diet um uh, and and yeah, yeah you might see some improvement while you're doing it and then as soon as you go back to eat what you normally eat then, then the condition will come back and i remember at the time feeling really deflated yeah um, yeah that's not because, certainly a message of hope was it like she, she it was wasn't. she was saying it wasn't you know what we know now like but no. you know that sort of knock that we're going to knock you on the head you're going to stay medicated and oh, it's a chronic and progressive don't you think about remission there young man i can just imagine you got the finger but i don't i, I don't know you know i mean it's i i, I think in her defense i think because you know she, she she'd been great in trying to help me uh but in her defense it only the studies had only just sort of come out at and, you know, nobody really knew much about it. Um, and, you know, it had only been a very small amount of group of people that had been studied, you know, and all this sort of stuff. So I, in her defence, I don't think there was any kind of maliciousness behind it. I think it was just the fact that, you know, well, great, if we cut your food right down to nothing um, on an 800 calorie diet or whatever, then, then yeah, you're probably going to see some improvement and then it will just come back again. So, you know, the problem hasn't gone away. And so, you know, what's the point? Um, so that's how I felt. I think, and that's the same with any diet. And it's still the same with low carb. If you go back to what you used to do, you go back to where you were. I get, yeah, I agree. I think the, th the, the, the difference in this is being the 800 calories, because obviously, you know, it's hard to stay just, 800 calories for the rest yeah, of no, your it's life. Not sustainable. Uh, and, sure, and I think, sure. and I think that's kind of that's where she was coming from. Is that yeah, you see sure. some improvement while you cut it right down, but at some point you've got to put it back up again, and then all the problem will come back again. Yeah. Um, so, so, Mark, knowing what you know now, have you ever gone back and asked for your blood results and and had a look at them and see what happened over those four years? Um, I don't think they really changed. I think they just kind of. I think they improved. So, where, so in terms of um, my uh, initial diagnosis, which was a different number, yeah, obviously, which is much higher. I think they 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 certainly came down, but then they just kind of plopped the plopped around for a while until until about so we were at twenty fourteen there twenty sixteen when they were telling me my blood glucose numbers are going up. And that I'm putting weight on, uh, okay. uh, and uh, uh, and uh, they wanted then to put me on more medication. So they want they were saying we you know we need to up your diabetes meds, uh, and uh, we want to put you on statins and um, and that sort of thing. And 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 I you know I remember now you know still having that that having covered that conversation and thinking saying to them, but you know you. I'm doing everything I can. I'm I'm following what you've told me to eat the the well plate. I'm, I'm nobody is doing more exercise. <laughs> well, I'm saying nobody's doing more exercise than but I'm out running miles and miles every week, way more than what you're prescribing to the average person. And yet my condition is getting worse. And she said, "Well, we always told you it was chronic and progressive." So again, it was a real deflating moment to think that actually, no matter what I'm doing, I ain't gonna make a lot of difference. I'm only heading in one direction. Yeah. So then what happened? Uh, I went away on holiday, um, sitting stewed about it, probably a bit, um, thinking, well, what what gonna do? I just gotta carry on doing what I'm doing because there's nothing else I thought I could do really. 
Um, and um, came back and uh, I, I was sat in this room working and um, uh, had the radio on and um, there was Michael Mosley, uh, the TV doctor, was on the Jeremy Vine show on Radio 2. He'd been invited as a guest and he was saying, perhaps we've got it wrong for type 2 diabetics. Perhaps the foods that we're recommending them to eat were actually making it chronic and progressive. And actually, if we turned everything on its head, then actually things they've seen can be a lot better and people can put their diabetes into remission. And um, I, it was kind of a moment where I thought, I've got nothing to lose. I'm just being told that my condition's getting worse. I'm being told that my I've got to add more meds. So, yeah, and I knew he bought this book out, The Eight-Week Blood Sugar Diet, and I thought, I'll just buy the book. Let's see what happens. Um, and um, so I bought the book, and I thought, well, you know, it's the eight-week blood sugar diet. I know they, it's kind of making reference to that study that I'd heard before, um, and uh, and I'll just do that. And, you know, if the end at the end of eight weeks, if I'm still type 2 diabetic, well, I've got nothing to, you know, what have I lost? Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Uh, you know, I might eight, as well You've only it. lost, you've lost eight weeks. I've That's lost okay. eight weeks. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to have done any, I'm not going to have done any harm in eight weeks. So so I might as well give it a go and see what happens. Um, and, I, and I treated it <clears throat> in exactly the same way as the Camps to 5K. I, I, I had my little charts. I had my blood glucose numbers. I was testing. Um, I was writing down everything I was eating. I was, I had it all mapped out and planned out. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it was amazing at the time because when I looked at the book, look at the book, I was going, kept saying to Heather, I said, all the stuff they've been telling me I can't eat, I now can eat. <laughs> and all the things I've been told to eat, I'm not supposed to be eating. It's like, it was so bizarre, um, so strange. Um, so, uh, uh, and um, I remember going to the shops and buying, just buying loads of food because when you suddenly make a change like that, you haven't got anything in that you're supposed to have because you don't eat that sort of stuff. So that first initial shop was quite dramatic. It was all these you know, vegetables and, and, and different meats and fish and, and all these other bits and pieces and full fat stuff, uh, which I'd never had before. Um, and of course, and not, you know, hardly a carbon site really. Um, so it, 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 it turned it round completely for me. But this was the um, the five and two, wasn't it? So was this the five and two, like the 800? So you do 800 calories on the weekends and then you just eat normally five, the five and two? Not quite. It, it kind of developed it on from that. So the five, two diet, I think he'd, he'd put his own diabetes into remission using the five, two diet. But what he'd learned from the studies that Professor Roy Taylor had done in Newcastle yeah. was that you could stay on an 800 calorie diet for about eight weeks i think right. at most is about 12 That's weeks right. so, it, so it was like you were doing it every day uh um, right but the, but the, the the interesting thing from my point of view is i never counted a calorie at, at the whole time i was doing it so uh, so i never I, I have no idea what sort of level of calories i was having but all i was doing was looking at these recipes and you start looking online and seeing all these other recipes you can do as well and i was just having good healthy meals and suddenly the weight was starting to drop off me again. You know, I mean, in that, in that first week, I lost nine pounds. I, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of it probably was sort of water weight as such, but it's incredibly motivating when you get, when you're watching your weight, weight come down, you're thinking, 
well, maybe this is it then, maybe. And but the 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 the, the other amazing thing for me is because I've done all my little charts and things, is that my blood glucose levels dropped into normal range within about two days. Wow. wow. Uh, and it was wow. Well, and, and they stayed there. And I and I'd spoken to I, just before I, I, I'd taken it on, I had a new nurse, a younger nurse. And um, and I'd spoken to her and I'd said, look, I'm thinking about doing this, you know, eight week blood sugar diet. And she said, um, uh, she said, go for it. She said, I know someone else who's tried that recently. She said, it worked really well. Um, she said, go for it. And I thought, suddenly I thought, they want me to do it. I'm now, as now I was suddenly getting this kind of, yeah, give it a go and tell me how you get on. Let me know how you get on. So at the end of that first week, I was getting blood glucose numbers like 3.8, 4.2 and things like that. And I, so I, I phoned her up and said, what shall I do? And she said, you don't need the medication anymore. And she took me off the medication in a week. And, uh, and, and I, I was, you know, I, took, I couldn't believe it because a few weeks before, before my holiday, they were telling me I had to put my medication up. And now within like a week, I suddenly didn't need it anymore. And she said, just keep monitoring what you're doing. Do what you're doing. Keep monitoring those numbers. And they kind of just stabilized from that point onwards. Um, uh, so she it was, was. She was quite progressive then because that was quite a while ago. 2016, yeah, six years ago. Yeah. Six but years. this was, but, but when you first came across the Newcastle study, that was 2014? That was a fit, yeah, because the World Health Organization were talking about it. And so I picked it up off of, I don't know, some papers, an online thing or something. Um, and that's why I brought it to the nurse and said, What's this about remission? What's this about reversing diabetes? Um, so, and uh, so it was, it was effectively two years on from that. Um, and in that time, Michael Mosley had kind of run with it and said, Well, actually, Although Professor Roy Taylor was doing it with shakes, which I actually wanted to do. That was the bizarre thing. I wanted to do shakes. I, I thought, I can't cook. I don't really know how to make these foods. Um, uh, so shall I? what shall I do? And I was looking for the, sh the shakes because I thought that would be the easy option. <laughs> I just have these shakes because I didn't care. If the food tastes like cardboard for eight weeks, I didn't care. I'd been backed into a corner of not being able to get out of diabetes. And so it doesn't matter to me what I do as long as I didn't have diabetes anymore. Uh, and so, you know, having the, sh the shakes would have made sense, but I couldn't work out which ones to have. And it was during that time, I think I went on an online forum or something, and they said, give it a go with real food. You know, it, it, it works in the same way. And that's what Michael Mosley was saying is, it, yeah, you can do it with shakes, but you can do it with real food as well. Uh, and so, that was why I, I made that change. And, and, and in the end, it was one of the best things I ever did because I learned to cook. So uh, and, and I loved doing that. Initially, I was being so perfect with every ingredient. So, so it's like I was like measuring everything perfectly and putting it in and all this and stuff. And then it didn't take long before I was like, just chuck a few herbs or spices or whatever it is that I was putting in there. And I started to get more confidence because I thought, well, actually, kind of added to the whole spice of it that like it tasted slightly different every time I did it. Uh, but, but I, I enjoyed the cooking bit. Um, and, um, and, and so for me, that was like a life skill that I, you know, that I really embraced. So where were your family on this as you made that transition? 
uh what as in what were they well i mean they were supportive obviously they wanted me to get better and and everything else but the interesting thing was is with with everything i've done they've kind of almost been just kind of picked up some of it themselves um it's a bizarre sort of thing really and one of the things that heather had always noticed is that every time she had something like pasta or rice or bread or something um she had almost like a pregnant look about her you know she had this real bloating and it had been going on for years you know every time we went out for a meal or something like that uh you know or she'd had some kind of pasta meal or something um and um and so bit by bit she was not having the carbs that she'd had before either so she started and she's quite slim very slim um and uh and so she um she stopped having pasta and rice and and that type of thing and just started having meals like me which was sort of you know a bit of meat on the plate with some vegetables and uh and all that bloating went away so 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 for her it was almost a bit of a ma magic moment for her too that that she didn't now have these problems that she'd had before and of course some of the things that we you know we talked about um and particularly with the boys as well i wouldn't say they're perfect but they're they're changes in in what they are are, are different as well i mean i don't remember last time they had a bowl of cereal now you know they're just not interested in it um whereas years ago it was like well, just like a pudding wasn't it in the morning you know cocoa pops or whatever it is they wanted to have uh and and of course so but now they don't have it uh and uh, so little things were rubbing off on them as well and so they were making little changes too um and um uh, and you know and they're in great shape i'm really proud of them you know they really look after themselves so yeah excellent so you'd made all these changes you started to lose weight your blood sugar came down what what came next uh what the, i mean the thing is 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 strange isn't it because you have this moment where you think blimey now there must be loads of people out there that could do this <laughs> no so you started to i started to think i i want to tell people um and i was kind of <clears throat> in, in my job um uh, as a financial advisor obviously i've got a lot of clients and one of them was a diabetes nurse um and uh she obviously i chatted to her about bits and pieces and she said why don't you come along and do a talk um at the we're having a um a conference a local conference like an annual conference there'll be a lot of type 2 diabetics there um and they'd be really interested in your story um so i thought oh my god but I, but I, at the same time i was thinking wow wouldn't it be amazing to do something like that so um uh I, we we went there um i stood up in front of this front of this audience uh and there were about 100 odd people there and, and i was terrified i mean i had all these notes written down on a bit of paper uh, even had my name written on it in case i forgot what my name was uh but i you know i was standing in front of all these people but after a after a few minutes you you can see how their reaction is they're starting to bark, think well hang on a minute what, you know what's he talking about um and we were doing this presentation we we're talking about all the different types of foods all up behind me and then the changes that were happening and then not only what was happening to me but also I'd learned about all these other people and what had happened to them as well. Um, and uh, we, uh, Heather had come there to, you know, she was in the audience, she was there to support me. And, and we had this little table outside. And after I'd done my talk, 
I do remember there was a nurse, a, di a diabetes nurse, another one, I don't know who it was, but she ran up after me saying, oh, hang on a minute, you know, blah, blah, blah. She was trying to almost like, <laughs> whoa, 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 what are you talking about? You know, this is not what we uh, prescribe for pet. But fortunately, a lot of the audience were not really paying much attention to her. And they just followed me out into the, the outside bit by the, the, um, this table. And we had a queue, as long as you can imagine, um, of people going, tell me more about this. What, what, what can I do? How do I get the book? How do I get information and things like that? And we, we weren't prepared for that. I mean, I had like one book with me and it was like, you need to get this book or, you know, um, but she, you know, and it wasn't only me, it was Heather as well. And Heather obviously had been got involved in all the cooking. So she was answering all the questions as well. Uh, and we started to realize that there was a real thirst for knowledge here from information. Give us information. Tell us. If we can do something that can really change things, then tell us, give us this information. And so from that moment on, I was just convinced that, you know, that that was it, it took me until I was in my 40s to realize what I want to be when I grow up, which is <laughs> which is something that's trying to help people to kind of understand their condition and actually turn it around and get back to health. And so I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I got invited on to various things where I was standing up and doing talks. Um, we went on the local BBC um, uh, radio uh, and did a, a series of, uh, of shows where we were trying to help people understand that you can put your diabetes in remission. And we had a guy that come on the show that had actually done it as well after listening to the show. Uh, and um, so, you know, it just kept going from there. And of course you start to get and talk to other people online. And that's when I came across uh, the public health collaboration um and uh and i knew they were doing a uh conference in manchester that was the next one that, that was coming up um coming i think it might have been 2017 i think 20 i can't remember 2017 it probably was um and i thought i don't know anybody i'll just drive up there and let's just see you know what happens because i heard about all these amazing people i started to learn about people like dr david unwin and you know, uh, Dr. Seema Hotra and, and other people that were going to be talking at this event. And I thought, well, I'd like to listen to that. So I went along there and I had, you know, a great opportunity to meet these people and have little chats with them. And uh, uh, and it was amazing. Just amazing because the, the, the room was full of not only doctors and nurses and that were helping their patients, but there was also a whole bunch of people that had done it themselves. Of course, they were all really enthusiastic. And suddenly I felt... I found my family. <laughs> these, are, these are all people that kind of want to help the same as I do. And so you start getting involved in all of this. And it wasn't wasn't long after that that um, Sam Felton, who heads up the, the PHC, um, put the ambassador program together. And I thought, well, that's what I should be getting involved in. I, I'd like to do that. Um, and so that just opened up more doors. Um, but, you know, I mean, sometimes it can be frustrating. I mean, right back at the beginning, it can be frustrating. You, you feel like you're not getting anywhere. But bit by bit, suddenly a door will open and then suddenly somebody will ask you to come and do a talk or help somebody or whatever. And you know, one thing just sort of led on to another and to another. And and um, and it's just kept on doing that. And we can see that, you know, amongst not only the ambassadors, but wider population. The great thing about this is that once you've managed to sort yourself out, you almost like you know the magic and now you can try and help someone else. It's like you're just paying it forward all the time. Somebody can then help somebody else and help somebody else. And, you know, you see that people that I've managed to help who are now helping other people. Um, 
uh, and I think that's that's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and we are seeing the tide turn now, so it it is having an effect. All of us keep talking about it and spreading the word, so it is having an effect. And you know, even to the point where in our local surgery, the diabetic nurse says she recommends intermittent fasting and low carb to her patients, whether they do it or not. They you know, it's a different matter, but they don't have much time. They just say, you know, look at, they actually use the Freshwells app, um, use the app and go off and do it. But I it, think that's what we need to, all, all we're asking for really, isn't it? It's to say that it's an option on the table. Yeah. Yeah, because all those hundred odd people, that first talk I ever did, that hundred odd people there, they hadn't heard anything. They hadn't been told anything. Now, how many out of those hundred, if they had been told something at some point, would have looked into it and would perhaps got a bit more information and found out a little bit more? And so, you know, the frustration for me is every now and then I hear old people can't do it. You know, they're not, you know, it, it, they just they won't stick to it or whatever. And it's almost as though people are making decisions for other people or they live in a deprived area, so therefore they haven't got the money to be able to support it, or you know, whatever it is, they're making decisions for people rather than actually saying, this has worked for some you know, well, a lot of people, this has worked. Why don't you give it a go? Give yeah. it a go and see what happens. And I think, <clears throat> you know, in, in healthcare, and I think anywhere, anywhere you're dealing with, with, with patients, you almost got to almost become salespeople you know, if you if you're not if you're putting it across as like, oh, it might work. Uh, well, yeah, no one's gonna take any notice. No one's gonna take that. But if you go, I've had other patients. Like that lady said to me, the nurse said to me, I've had another patient that's done this and it worked for them. That's all I wanted to hear. It's like, okay, let's go for it. Give it a go. You know, because suddenly you're getting confidence from that person. You feel like you want to give it a go, and you think it's worthwhile. But if that nurse in 2014 had said hmm tell me more about you know what what you've done instead of you know immediately going oh that's going that's too hard or that's not going to be sustainable like if her mindset had been curiosity you know well tell me more about that I haven't you know that sounds relatively new or interesting tell me tell me more as opposed to no not so much the no but there's too too much wrong with that. It's not sustainable, which is, you know, it wasn't meant to be sustainable. It's meant to be for eight weeks. But if in 2014 her, that mindset had been a bit more curiosity, that in a way could have saved you two years. You know, you didn't have to get to 2016. But in that time, obviously Michael Mosley had picked it up, he'd refined it, he'd packaged it up, made it a lot more accessible, um, you know, and had taken Roy Taylor's work and and made it more obviously, um, yeah, more for public consumption. Um, I don't, yeah, I, think, I just I think what you're saying, you know, and, and how I felt about it at the time wasn't was not the it didn't come across that she didn't know. It came across that she did know, uh, and and it, and it was, was too like, hard. There was no curiosity there. It was like no. I've already made decision. And actually, that decision is that this isn't going to work for the majority of people. Um, and so, you know, we all listen to our doctors and we listen to our nurses and what they tell us influences us. It's not a case right. of 
it, it, it doesn't have any effect. If a doctor is telling you to go on some kind of medication, I've heard this so many times with people, people don't think they've got any choice. Correct. If the doctor is telling them to do something, they must do it. What are they to do? What, what are they there to question it? So there's, a, <clears throat> there's never this kind of feeling like, oh, oh, well, you know, the patient needs to understand a little bit more about whatever it is they're taking, uh, what the upsides are, what the downsides are. It's like, no, they, they've told me that I need to take it and I must take it. Um, and, and, and so we do listen and we are massively influenced by what our GPs and nurses are telling us. Correct. They've got a lot of power. It, I think from from what you were saying that, you know, there, there's a person-centeredness or that patient-centered. So, you know, where there's an authority figure, and we do because they're experts and we are guided and counselled by them, that when there's no, you're not at the centre of this, you know, you're not the agency, you don't have any agency, I'm telling you, no, that's not sustainable, that's not in your best interest, that doesn't give you any sense of control and power, authority, we're not in this together, you know, that shared decision-making, you know, that was taken all of your choices away and it's just like you're a bad boy for thinking, you know, outside of that eat well plate. How dare you do that? This is what we do and this is how it works and, and this is something absolutely new um, and we don't believe it will work and that was kind of... So you've got, to with, you've got to go back with the original. But now you're not on medication, is that right? Yeah, so that medication just stopped after a week uh, and um, I've stayed outside the diabetic range ever since. So that's like six years. Um, I, you know, just picked up more and more information online. There's so much. I mean, that you, you know. There's too much. Is it? Is it? Well, yeah. Wow. Mindful. It's so much, so much information out there. But um, yeah, you probably said you're right to a degree. There may be too much information. I think there's a danger, isn't there, that that you can just confuse people sometimes. Um, but um, but the, the, the lovely thing is, is that I've seen during that time, that six year period, it little changes. You now can see. And I suppose because I'm now with the work that I now do with the NHS, I can see the influences having behind the NHS door. Uh, and uh, because up until then I was the other side of it. Um, and I can see now that, you know, where we are, even in Hampshire, it's like a real hotbed of people there. We've got, you know, Liz Lapla down here, we've got Lou Walker down here. There's a whole range of people here that are having influence in their areas. Um, and bit by bit, they're connecting the dots between different surgeries. Um, uh, and, uh, and so everywhere people are going, it's not that they're just hearing this from one person who stands up sometimes saying something. They're getting it wherever they go. So now it, this is having a, a, a different, a, a bigger impact. Um, and I think that's, what, you know, you talked about that, Jackie, that, the, the kind of like the tipping point. And I think that's why we are past that tipping point now is that more and more people, I sat in a meeting the other day with a couple of GPs and one of them is sat there going, I'm low carb, I do it all the time. You know, it's it's great, it works really well for me. Um, and, and so once you've got that, people figureheads within these surgeries and they're talking to each other, it's gonna have an impact on others. Yeah. 
It certainly is a momentum in the groundswell. And as you said, it's that grassroots movement that is moving towards. And it's almost like, you know, if we're, we're talking about a prescription and whether it's de-prescribing, as, as you were, you've been de-prescribed. And we're talking also about other the social prescriptions such as parkrun, you know, that there is this, it's not just that chronic progressive straight on to metformin, you know, back to you, make sure you have your your three meals plus your your snacks. Don't, don't, you can't go five minutes without having some carbs, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, it's almost like, oh yeah, I'm low carb, low carb too. How, how are you going? You know, what what benefits have you what benefits have you noticed since, you know, um now? So have you still got the itchy foot? No, no, we stay away. This bit lately. Not my foot, but the itch. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, interesting, I had a patient recently and they said that uh, in, in one of our groups that we do this week, um, and he said, my foot has been hurting me uh, for quite some time, he said, and the pain's gone away. And he's only been doing low carb for like, I don't know, two or three weeks. He said, the pain's gone away. He said, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like, you know, and so so when you hear things like that, you know that, it's not just always about the numbers. I think we get so wrapped up in numbers, don't we? we get wrapped up in what the scales are telling us, uh, HBO ones, whatever it is. Um, but it's actually the real life stuff. The how do you feel when you go into a shop and you can buy clothes that fit nicely, and um, you know those sort of like little magic moments, really, um, where you just feel different. You've got more energy. Um, you got you can run up and down the stairs. You can play with grandchildren. You know, for me, it was always a case of I don't want a retirement full of hospital appointments. You know, that's that's the I don't want that. You know, I don't want to be. How many people have that? I mean, you know, you talk to people of an older generation, and it seems to me their whole conversation is about how when they're next seeing their consultant or they're next seeing something else that's happening. Yeah. You just think my God, you know, it's just everywhere um, and it's just treated as normal. And I didn't want that. And, and for me, that was that was where it's heading. So it wasn't necessarily weight, although that's incredibly motivating, or even, the, you know, the HP1C, although it was motivating that my numbers were coming down, that was fantastic. But it was a case of suddenly I was on a different track. I, the track that I was on before was leading to all that, all those problems. Um, whereas now suddenly, I've, hopefully... I'm not, I've given myself a better chance. Yeah, yeah. We never know what's going to come around the corner at yeah. us, but we're doing the best we can <clears throat> with the knowledge that we have. Yeah, you're playing the odds in your favour, aren't you? That yeah. things hopefully are going to pay out in a better way than they they could have done. Yeah. But that's where, like, where, where Jen Unwin sort of says, you know, or, you know, in Dr David Unwin was sort of saying, you know, when we're, when we're talking to patients in that sort of, hope setting so where do you see yourself what is it that you want and as you said you know I want to be playing with the grandchildren and I want a healthy active retirement you know I want this and then then starting with the end in mind and working the way you know keeping that as your anchor and your why as your motivation and so making those changes are all sort of iteratively supporting that you know ambition or that goal um how close are you to retirement? Not, not close enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think what you, one of the things that we're trying um, uh, recently is moving to a four-day week. 
Um, so, uh, uh, you know, and I, I think this is something that's been tried in other parts of the world. I think you can do it. I think it's sort of originated there um, where, you know, you have um, you're so protective of that extra day that you have off that, that actually you work harder in the other days and you're you're even more productive than you would have been. Um, and, uh, you know, but obviously you've got, to have, you've got to have some energy. You've got to stay hopefully fit and healthy and everything else. Um, but we're, we're making it work. I mean, it's not always going to be the case, um, but I'd like to think as time goes by, you know, we'll be able to cut down those days that we're working and have more time to do the things that we want to do, which is, you know, to travel more. The, you know, the children are now um, in their late teens, um, and so we don't always have to be around so much now, so we can perhaps take more time to go and do things that we want to do. Um, and uh, so that that's kind of like my my dream of retirement is I don't think, you know, I mean, obviously being in my job, we talk about retirement a lot, um, not necessarily for me, but for my, my clients. Um, and I think the old way was always that kind of magic day where we go, right, we don't do anything anymore. But what something that my, um, my father-in-law was actually really sort of shown me because he's in his mid eighties and he still works. He still does stuff and he does it because he wants to. Um, uh, you know heather's uh, mother still works voluntarily i mean they're, you know they're, they're 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 amazing um and for me that's what it's all about is to be able to you know not just to sit there with a copy of the racing post watching the telly but actually to be able to do the things that you want to do in later life and to stay fit and healthy and to be able to do those things that you've got to kind of keep on the go they're always on the go um uh, uh, and they've got the energy to do that sort of thing and i think well that's what I want. That's what my retirement looks like. Not to, not necessarily to say I'm not going to do anything, but actually I want to keep doing it. And I think one of the one of the things that came out of the pandemic is that where people were kind of forced to be at home, they actually reevaluated what retirement actually was. That actually would they just be sitting there doing nothing, um, which you sounds lovely, but actually you've got to have some sort of purpose in life. And so maybe hopefully the second half of my life. If I've got half, I don't know if I've got another half. Um, but the second half of my life is doing this sort of stuff, you know, is to get out there and and use the time that I that I've got. Hopefully, you know, my business will able to carry on to support this other work that I do to be able to get out there and really try to help people. You know, one one of the things that we're that we're changing with the work that we do with the NHS now, um, we've been doing these groups for some time. So we don't just focus just on um, uh, the nutrition, although that's a massive part of it. Um, but we talk about the, 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 the benefits of exercise and movement, intermittent fasting. We talk about sleep. We talk about stress. So it's like the four pillars of health as such. So we work through all of that. And for a lot of people, probably a high percentage, that is all they need. You know, once they get that information, they're, they're there. But there's we've noticed we could be because we've been doing these groups now for about two and a half years and we've had you know at least a couple of hundred people have gone through these now but we've noticed there's this cohort of patients that know what they need to do but for some reason life is getting in the way mm. life is getting in the way now whatever it is emotionally or whatever it is stress anything that whatever is happening and so what we're now developing, we started doing, is having one-to-one -one coaching for those that need that extra support to try and get through. What is it? What is it that you really want? 
you know, don't talk about losing weight. Let's, let's talk about what is it? What, what does the future really look like for you? What, what do you want? How do you see yourself? What's the dream? You know, and to have that, that image in their mind of what it would look like. And then let's see what the barriers are. You know, um, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's a whole wide range of different things that can be a barrier for people. Uh, you know, I remember somebody telling me that once that they spoke to someone where they lost weight previously and their marriage broke down and it's kind of became a mental block. Mm. Wow. You know, that's and a, so, that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was like, it, you know, what would necessarily, feel like it should be a positive thing actually become a negative thing um and and so we're trying to now develop what we do to to include this kind of one-to-one coaching and unpicking what are the reasons why is it that when we come back from a i don't know a bad day or you know, it tends to be a bad day at work or maybe boredom or something you know whatever it is what can we do to to help navigate that because that can be usually the catalyst for a lot of other issues afterwards. But if we can navigate that somehow and try to unpick what that issue is. So I'm absolutely fascinated with that. And that for me is my next sort of development really. And I'm getting, um, going through a, a coaching at the moment, like a course at the moment. So I'm, I'm really um, enjoying that rather than just the tell mode, actually the, it's all about the listening mode and really trying to put yourself in that person's situation. Why is it? that although they know what they need to do, why can't they do it? Yeah. Yeah. There's some real sort of deep psychology there, isn't it? It's, you know, what what that personal story is. And as you said, it's it's not that health education, health promotion, the advocacy stuff that where you've been in action mode. Now it's like listening. Tell me more about that, you know, that sort of, real supportive nurturing as you said from the group the health education health promotion it's it's now about that that individual story that individual and really sort of as you said you know the psychology of you know or in that therapy mode in a way just that supportive let's let's unpick that a little bit more let's unpack that let's tell me more about that sort of thing and as you said, it's it's really about the the habits, the behaviours, the the you know intentional sorts of resistance to change from trauma, you know, particularly um, you know that life stuff that gets in the way, and that and that sort of resonates with me when you know there's the single mum who working full time with a child with special needs structurally you know there were things there there was loads and loads of stress with work and study so yeah it's not as, as simple as is go for five and two or where's your 30 minutes a day and it's like I can't scratch myself I don't have a minute you know I've got this 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 and this this is you know I don't eat less, move more, not working for me. You know, there was, yeah, it's not as simple and prescriptive as, yeah, as as those yeah. sorts of life changes are. Otherwise it would have worked in the, in the past. It would have worked over the last 40 or 50 years if it, if it was that easy that we just had to If it was people. that easy. <laughs> we'd, all, we'd all be slim and healthy. 
yeah. and there'd be no obesity epidemic, you know. And this is this is the thing where, you know, that reductionist, you know, it should be go for five and two, have 30 minutes a day, make the swaps, you know, eat less, move more. And I don't know if you've seen that that picture. There's this beautiful schematic systems picture of, you know, obesity. And at the centre, you know, it has psychology and food and planning and transport systems. And it's just this massive um, squiggly lines. Nowhere there does it say calories in, calories out, you know, like because it's this big picture of environment and psychology, food systems. Yeah, so it's it's not as simple as as that. And I think, you know, that you should be really commended because this is about health education promotion and advocacy and, you know, that supportive counselling that you've sort of spanned, you know, um, you know, and informed from your lived experience, but but where to from here? I mean, it it sounds like you're you're moving into the next the next phase. I, th- I think that I mean for me that is um, I'm, I'm really fascinated with it, and I get, I'm getting a real buzz from it. I thought I mean I get a real buzz from doing the groups, you know, because when you see that their their reaction and and um, when they've gone to see the nurse and then they put a you know message, send a message saying my I've gone back into a mission or whatever the situation. You just, you feel what you felt for yourself for them again. And it's, it, you're reliving it. And it's that, that lovely feeling that you, you, you see them making progress. So yeah, I love all that. But this bit is really interesting me now. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting more involved in that um, and trying to see from the people that I've worked with so far how we how far can we go how can how can we unpick that so I you know I think I can see me sort of moving moving into that kind of um arena um I'd love to have as much influence as I could but still be having connections with the with the patients I I, you know that that, that's all the clients or whatever you want to call the people um, that's the bit I, I I love. I love that energy, that feeling that you that you're between you as a team. You're creating something. So group work, really, I love that too. So uh, I'm kind of I can see both of that. Both areas are gonna are kind of develop. Another thing that we just got back into doing now is live events, and that is you get such a buzz from that, you know, because everything was moved on to Zoom, um, which. It has been brilliant because I don't think we could the, the the groups that we were able to do would have been as uh, successful as they had turned out to be if it hadn't been for all of that. So if that was one upside of COVID, you know, you didn't have to worry about a venue, you don't have to worry about parking or traveling there or, you know, whatever it is, or, or the technology when you get there, uh, you know, you didn't have to worry about any of that. It was all on the computer. And everybody, or the vast majority of people, could do it because they'd all done quizzes with their family. So it's so that worked really well. Um, but recently, we've done a couple of um, you know back to live events again, where we've there's been a hall that's been hired, and we've got you know a whole group of patients have been invited in, and then we go up and stand up and do a talk. And and Sue, who I work with, who's just been amazing. I mean, she's a, a senior diabetic specialist. Um, um, she's been involved in diabetes all her life, but she came to realise that actually she wasn't helping anybody. Mm. That it was that, yep. that, that, that the reliance on the medication just wasn't there. And, it, and she s- sought me out because she'd seen me do talks and things and said, come and help us. 
And, and that really, you know, we talk about the doors are opening, that suddenly opened a massive door because suddenly I'm on the other side now uh, in the NHS and now I can talk within them and hopefully influence them and their decisions and what they're talking about with their patients. Um, and we've got an amazing team of, of, of uh, uh, diabetes nurses um, uh, who have seen, obviously their confidence has, has, has gone up because instead of just saying next one, next one, next one, conditions getting worse, more medication, everything else, suddenly they're getting them off the medication. You know, suddenly they've got patients that are going, thank you so much for this. Um, is this so, in the in your primary? Is this in your primary care network in, in, yeah, in your CCG so, or? Yeah. So initially, I did it on a voluntary basis. I just um, uh, just said, yeah, let's just put. We we literally, I spent an afternoon putting a a course together, <laughs> a course together based on the stuff that I kind of picked up. Um, but it was a case of not just just focus. We we did focus on the food, but it was really important that we focused on all these other areas as well. And, and what that also allowed us to do is to create this kind of community. So each time we have a do a group, we'll have maybe a dozen people in there um, and they all get to know each other. Um, they all go into a WhatsApp group. They all kind of share uh, experiences. They, they, you know, their, uh, their food, they're doing pictures of their food and that sort of stuff and recipes they found. Um, so, you know, we've developed that over the last two, two and a half years, but about a year and a half ago, they formalized it and said, well, will you come and become a health and well-being coach for us? So so I, it's only part time because obviously I still do my normal day job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I yeah, I enjoy doing my normal day job and mortgages and pensions and things like that. But the buzz that I get out of doing this, if somehow I can bring it across and I was doing more with the NHS, um, then, I, you know, I, I would love to do that. And it's all about trying to make sure I've got enough time to do all the things that I need to do um, and not get too um, and too carried away although my wife says I always get carried away doing things and that's that's why you know we, we've kind of got into this sort of real food runners as well you know we've kind of tried to yeah I was, um, was going to say you're wearing excuse me you're wearing your real food runners shirt you you yep. put them to the um, PHC in May yeah tell us a bit about that and the thoughts behind it uh, well, it was it was um, Ollie Lester, who's a, an ambassador and he's a social prescriber, sort of local to, to me in the South. Um, uh, so myself and Ollie had, had a chat and Ollie was saying, you know, wherever he goes, you know, when he does park runs and things like that, you know, there's all these running clubs. And he said, particularly, he was saying about vegan runners. Um, and uh, and he said, you know, what a, the, the, the way they've done it is very simple, simple messaging um and uh, and it's caught on and you'll see these you know the vegan runners uh, out there and couldn't we do something similar you know it doesn't necessarily have to be confrontational it doesn't have to be you know oh we're doing it this way you're doing it that way whatever but it was a case of saying well actually my feeling he 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 wanted to, to do something that was going to be based around real foods and that sort of thing and my and my feeling was uh, you know, all the information that we hear about the family, about families and the amount of ultra processed foods that they're eating um, and that they have probably have no idea, no idea at all about what, how much, you know, we, we see it in the papers see, uh, that the average family now eats what 50%, 50% of the stuff that they buy on a weekly basis is ultra processed foods. And yeah. we wonder why there's a problem. You know, it's not necessarily because we're not all eating low carb. It's just... <laughs> it's 
it's because of all this this rubbish this food that's packaged and just shoved on the shelf and is designed to stay there for as long as possible and packaged to make it look like it's healthy in a, in, in a lot of cases um and a lot of people have no no idea at all and, and we know in 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 deprived areas it can be as much as 80 percent is ultra processed food so you know we can see why we're we're damaging our bodies we're we're having all these issues with obesity and diabetes and all these other things when you think back to where we were probably 70s <clears throat> we were what less than 20 percent probably eating as an average on ultra processed foods yeah. um now now it's become a significant part of the diet so what we wanted to do is to create a running group where we knew there were a lot of people that were interested in running a lot of people who do park run i, I love park run i'm I'm a run director now at park run and um i you know i i, I think it's amazing um uh, thing that they that, that they put together where they're inviting people all different i remember the very first one i went to all different shapes and sizes there were uh different ages you had little four-year-olds you had people in their 80s you know the whole range of different uh families and that type of thing and they were all turning up on a saturday morning a full free uh and uh walking it or jogging it or running it or whatever you want to do all different types of abilities um and I thought what an amazing thing that is. And but couldn't we take that another step and actually create a running group where we're kind of sending a message saying, well, actually, you know, it should be about eating real foods. Let's try and help all these families. There's so many families that go to Park Run um, and these running events that actually to get them just to think a little bit maybe about the amount of ultra processed foods that are in their diet. Um, and uh, so we've got a little um message on the back of the shirt as well we've got, I've got another one here which is you know this this runner is real food fueled um <laughs> and uh, so anyone can get the shirts um it's part of the public health uh, collaboration which is the charity um so if there is any profit then it goes to them um uh, so you know no one's making any money out of it it's just a case of trying to get the message across um, um uh, you know to wear the shirt get that message out there that actually we focus on just eating real foods, you know, so something that hasn't got come with a whole list of ingredients um, and, and just get back to that again. We can maybe start to turn the tide on the ever worrying amount of people that are coming up from children into adolescence into you know, as they get older and all these issues and chronic conditions that they're getting, uh, which is, you know, at, at its heart is 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 based around what we're eating and what we're buying in the supermarket every week. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. So how can people get in contact with you? Uh, well, they can get in contact with me through social media. I'd, um, uh, so I, I, I picked up the old eight-week blood sugar right from, <laughs> right from the beginning. Um, uh, or they can contact me I, um, uh, through email. Or, there's a whole range you know, we'll put them in the show notes you've got you you've got the yeah so i'm always delighted to hear from people um and of course we have got a real food runners uh website that's set up now so if they would like to buy the shirt um then that would be amazing because we'd love to see we've got a community set up on facebook now with for it uh and on twitter uh and we love to see people running at their events with with the shirt on and you know really hopefully getting that message across because when you're wearing one of these shirts inevitably you're going to get people come up to you and say what's that all about you know and i can just um, 
But I can just imagine um, the obviously the listeners can't actually see the image of this little egg running, you know, real food mm-hmm. running little egg. And um, yeah, I just want to know if I buy the shirt, will I be able to run? Because I'm not a runner. I I, I lift heavy things repeatedly. I'm strong, but running is is yeah. But anyway, but it, it's very inspiring to um, to see a little sort of little egg running running across a shirt well you can amend it you can change it you can call it real food walkers um and um and one of the great things that park run are doing just for this month um is they're really promoting park walk so they've actually changed their name for a month it's called park walk to encourage which is come along which is really lovely because i did actually look up my my local park run and um so it's a yeah five 5k and it's eight o'clock on a Saturday morning and it's on the beachfront on the esplanade so it is actually quite inspiring to to for me to I'm contemplating it so in as Jackie would know you know in the health behavior model I'm still in that sort of contemplating pre-contemplation so I'm still contemplate I've looked it up I know where it is it's eight o'clock on a Saturday morning but I just can't you know anyway I'll think about it next week but um I'll contemplate it next week. I know it's in Australia, that is, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, 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 I mean, it's, I know know they've got events down there and I know eight o'clock is a bit cooler then, isn't it? Because we we can venture to nine here in the UK. Oh, Um, right now. So so we we generally encourage people to get here about quarter to nine, um, get registered beforehand and and come along. But I think that, that, you know, you talk about, the, the, the benefits of the walking and the running and that yes. type of thing. I can do that on my own. I can go out and do a 5K run on my own. The reason why I turn up on a Saturday morning is because of the community. And because oh, absolutely. Oh, everyone. And everyone's got something absolutely. in uh, yeah, yeah. That inspires you. Yeah. I think the community is the, the thing that I'm looking for. So um, obviously I've sort of come back to um, after being abroad and coming back and I'm still trying to find my, as you said, my family, my tribe. And, um, yeah, so my accountability buddy is still still in Bangkok, Thailand. So, um, you know, there's things for me to look forward to when, when, when Andrew comes back and joins me. And I did say to him, Saturday morning, you know, just down the beach on the Esplanade, we'll do, we'll, do a park run. We'll see how how that goes, but um, yeah. But we want to leave the um, leave our listeners with some of your three top tips, please. Uh, so uh, my my top my top tips. Um, I mean, for for me, right back at the beginning, it was to um, plan ahead. You know, I see this a lot, uh, especially in the groups um, uh, when we when we're doing this with uh, patients. Um, that things unexpectedly go wrong uh, during the week. Suddenly I didn't have the opportunity to go to the shop or I didn't have uh, the time or something happened, whatever it was. And then I came home and I just ate all the wrong things. Um, So right for me, my back to the beginning was make sure I had enough food in for the next few days. And and even now, that's exactly the same now um you know i probably probably still wouldn't have it anyway even if i didn't have anything in i now i do more intermittent fasting and that type of thing so but you know for people that are starting and they're really wanting to get into um eating real foods cutting their carbohydrate content down then then having easy go-to stuff 
that uh, doesn't involve having to put some elaborate recipe together, um, uh, which can turn people off a little bit, especially in the early days. Um, so having that easy stuff um, in the fridge and in the cupboard where you can just reach for it when you've had a busy day and you haven't had the opportunity to go to shops. Yeah. A bit so like having a financial, but, it, but that's a bit like having a financial plan, isn't it, really? So we're having a financial plan for food. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. If you're going to make it work, you've got to have a plan. You've got to expect the unexpected. What's the things that can go wrong? And I think people, okay. people would um, accept that, you know, I haven't come across anyone who doesn't think they have a busy life. Um, so, and I, I don't think I've come across anyone who doesn't have things that unexpectedly happen during the week. Um, so planning ahead is massive. Yeah. So is that one or one and two? Okay. So second tip, um, where's the protein on the plate? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think uh, as uh, probably right across the UK, probably right across the world, I don't know, but where we've moved more and more to – eating ultra processed foods and other bits and pieces that we really have neglected um, uh, where we're getting our protein sources. And so many people don't seem to be eating anywhere near, um, uh, you know, a decent level of protein. So whenever I'm sitting there and thinking, what am I going to have for my dinner? I'm always thinking, where's my protein? You know, is it the eggs? Is it the meat? Is it the fish? You know, where, where is it? Um, and then I will just build around there. So that would be my, my second tip. Yeah. Um, so if you're sitting there with a bowl of cereal, where's your protein? It's protein, yeah. Yeah, there's no and protein. So not yeah, really. we on the podcast that just came out this week, that was one of the things is particularly women have become fearful of protein. Yeah. And we sort of see it as something bad, but, you know, it's the building block of everything in our body. We need absolutely absolutely i mean if you if you're looking at the three macronutrients and so you're looking at proteins you're looking at good healthy fats they're the things that you need absolutely things that you you, you know you need to survive we don't need the carbohydrates you now you might want to have some if you decide you want to have some in your in your diet and maybe in the form of vegetables and other bits and pieces but but actually protein and fats are non-negotiable <laughs> you need to have those in your diet so you know, being fearful of them is silly. And that probably all comes back to some of the mixed messaging that we've had in the past. Yeah. Know, cutting our red meat consumption. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, avoiding eating eggs, you know, to a, any great extent. You know, some of these things which are which have been a bit silly in, in, in um, and, and it is, has moved people um, to being a bit, a little bit fearful uh, of, of having too much of it. So I think, you know, where we've seen the greatest success um, one of the great things also about protein is it generally it's going to be pretty filling whatever you're eating and I think one of the main benefits that you see when you move to a low carb uh, uh, lifestyle low, low carb approach is the hunger goes away so for those that are trying to um, you know battle th th this is something that comes up time and time again I'm always hungry always hungry and then you see that change because they've got a uh, good level of protein they've got some good healthy fats on, on in their meal um suddenly they can go longer periods and they're not thinking about food all the time definitely we see that all the time yeah yeah so that's my second tip and my third tip would be to get those scales and chuck them in the bin 
(laughs) But but, but you are a financial advisor. You need to have a scorecard. How do I know I'm actually, if I don't have data, how do I know I'm making progress? You're telling me to throw my scales out and, you know, there are some data, data people out there that love, love to collect information. I guess, I guess the, the, the thing I would consider is know yourself. Um, so let's say you're um, an average person who has uh, eaten healthy, whatever that might be, uh, eaten healthy all week, and then they stand on the scales and it says nothing has changed. Or maybe they put weight on. That's incredibly demotivating for the, <laughs> for the individual uh, where they feel like they've made these sacrifices and suddenly now, you know, we've, we've got so focused on weight, haven't we? You yeah. know, we don't think, actually, if you really think about it, is it about weight or is it about how you feel, how you look, you know, your body shape? Is it about wearing clothes that feel comfortable? You know, is, isn't that a great metric? Um, isn't that the ideal, what we're really looking for, rather than perhaps oh, I've dropped a pound on the scales. Because we want to lose, we don't want to lose weight. We want to lose fat, don't we? Exactly. That's what I say. If you want to lose weight, that's easy. Chop your arm off. You've lost weight. (laughs) (laughs) Want to lose more weight? Chop your leg off. (laughs) But but Jackie says it's just a number and we should be detaching. It's just a number, Louise. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a number. You know, and this is this is Jackie in my head, right? She's going, it's just a number. Detach yourself from the number, Louise. But on the other hand, I have this other internal dialogue. Oh my God, you're so bad. That's you know, that's the extra pound. What have you done? You're so bad. And then it's Jackie on the other, like it's like the little sort of, you know, I've got the devil and the angel, you know, devil, devil Jackie going, it's just a number, Louise. Detach yourself. (laughs) but i think isn't that rooted in everything that we've been told for like decades you know about this focusing on the weight and focusing on the scales and you know that sort of thing we haven't really focused on the health have we not really no this is this is obviously you know there's the quantitative and the qualitative and you're saying let's be more holistic and sort of you know how do you feel you know what is it that you've gained you know this is not you know chop your leg off and you lose you know 5 pounds this is um you know you're saying let's focus on those other holistic measures which is which is a lot more sensible and you know that's are you sleeping better is your mood better is your itchy foot better is is your you know not necessarily the metrics and the data they're good as a scorecard but they're not it's inherently problematic when we assign a judgment to it which is an internal dialogue and a narrative and a conditioning and you know speaks to um you know other other stuff other psychologies that yeah absolutely i mean you know i look at it and we see this in the conversations that we have in our groups. So we'll start off at the start and we'll talk about goals. And we'll say, well, yeah, what are your goals? And initially people sort of go, I want to lose weight. I want to get my diabetes under control. And then I always remember watching a video and it was Dr. David Unwin and say, never accept, I just want to lose weight. You know, what does that actually mean? How would that change your life? Life. How yeah. would that change your life if you had more energy, if you had... You know, you can run up and down the stairs, you can play with the grandchildren, you can, 
you know, whatever it is, focus on that because isn't that ultimately what we want rather than Why? actually what the scales are telling us and the danger Correct. with the scales. I'm all for it. If you want scales and you want to see how much weight you've lost and if that motivates you, that's absolutely fantastic. And it was motivating for me when I lost nine pounds in that first week. It was it was amazing. But I don't think I was just actually thinking about those scales. For me, it was all about diabetes. And we sit in our groups and maybe by about the third week or fourth week and we're starting to see how people are making progress. We start to get that conversation going again where we hear people say, but I haven't lost weight. I didn't lose weight last week, you know, but how far have you come? You know, let's see where you are. Where's your blood glucose levels now? When you're doing your finger prick test, where are they? Um, and okay, oh, well, let's have a look at weight then. How much weight have you? Oh yeah, well, I did lose half a stone in the first two weeks, but then it, uh, now I haven't now, you know, and, and this is where the frustration <laughs> comes from. Do you think, so, does that suddenly become the priority, not getting the diabetes under control and getting off the medication? It's suddenly we're back to what are the scales telling us again? Uh, and but that's that's, but that's the, the slimming world. But that's yeah. the slimming world sort of model, right? Yeah. Like, you know, when we think about what what slimming world and, you know, we had Weight Watchers and those sorts of things, it's all about that parade. You know, when you walk into the, the weigh-in and it became the, it set the tone for, um, you know, the whole sort of, you know, retro, yeah. not the retrospective, but the, you know, the introspection that happens in the group that, you know, you are a winner or a loser. Um, yeah. And that, and that, and that is the only, the sole thing that was motivating people probably to keep going back. I mean, I've known oh, people that have gone to the, the slimming world, turn up for the weigh in and then leave. They don't listen at all to anything else that gets sent. That's to get said after that. It's just literally all about that. And um, have I lost this week? Um, and, uh, you know, I, we, we, we perhaps haven't really looked at the bigger picture. And, you know, we see again, we see people who say, do you know what? I haven't lost weight. However, my clothes don't feel as tight anymore, that my body shape's changing. I feel it doesn't feel so tight across my belly anymore. You know, and you think that's the kind of things that we want to be looking at because that's what we're seeing as progress. Now, ultimately, you probably are going to get to where you want to get to over time. Focusing on the scales on a week-to-week -week basis, to me, just has more. It's more likely to demotivate and derail people than it is to 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 motivate them. Um, um, and we know that it's not linear anyway. Like it's not. Yeah. It's always going to be like that. But yeah. I think that they are great top tips, Mark. And we, I don't know. We've this was just meant to be a chat. So it's been such a lovely chat. Um, I know that the listeners are really would be appreciate your journey and, you know, the education, um, the health promotion, the advocacy, and certainly, you know, the, the work that you're doing in the South. It's um, really something that you should be proud of. And we look forward to our real food running um, and our real food runners certainly, um, yeah, certainly supporting supporting that so thank you for your time today oh thank you thank you to you uh, louise and jackie it's been lovely to be on here lovely to chat to you so um thank you for inviting me thank you 
isn't it so inspiring, Jackie, when we have this transformation, the stories whereby we hear their lived experience and how transformative, impactful, and now moving forward in his new role as an advocate. Yes, I just, I love listening to those stories. Um, and I think you do too, in that we're just ordinary people making simple changes that make a significant difference, not only to our lives, but those of us, those around us as well. Because even without the actual, you know, your actual life being different, um, it's that future life as well, because, you know, what would have happened to Mark if he hadn't made the changes? Because he would have just got worse. And probably by the time he was 50, he would have been in a really sorry state. And that impacts on his whole family. So, yeah, I think it's it's wonderful how we make these differences and we we lead such different lives. Our lives go off on a different path of things that we didn't think were imaginable before. But I think there's there's a number of things that resonate in, in Mark's story. One, which was obviously, you know, the standard of care. And, you know, he'd already identified all those other symptoms. So, the you know, he'd feeling sluggish and tired and run down. And, you know, the tingly toe was obviously some starting of some neuropathy. Yeah. yeah. So there was obviously some things that were happening. And as you said, you know, he was 39. But if he'd continued on the way, with the metabolic issues, by the time he was 50, he was probably, you know, he could have had some irreversible cardiac damage in having a sudden, sudden event. Possibly even uh, a toe or a foot amputated part of the right. leg. He's already feeling that neuropathy at that point. Mm. And then it's really about that moment of, you know, we've heard it a number of times where we know who was the one that sort of led you to to the new information, Michael Mosley, Tim Noakes, you know, there's also others others in the sphere, you know, whether it's a podcast or a book or, you know, on the radio and the TV, but, you know, we, we hear the same names again, but buying the book, but, you know, we can present those changes to say, look, this is the information, but he made them. No bread, sugar, pasta. Um, you know, the potatoes, but the life skills for him was, you know, making his own food, going back to just real food. Yeah. Another layer, oh, you know, was obviously all of the physical activity and getting the family involved. And that's that's a really, you know, coupling the lifestyle changes with the food and the activity, but moving that forward, you know, the advocacy role, you know, is the exponential part of making the change, getting that grassroots movement that we know that you always love to love to be advocating for and making the changes outside of obviously the mainstream. Yeah. I, you know, I advocate it because I think we, if you remember when we interviewed Dan Grief, who's a politician, he said nothing ever happens from the top down. It has to mm -hmm. come from the bottom up. So it's all down to us to make noise and make changes and that knock-on effect will will make the difference so it's got to come from the bottom up what we also have is the the numbers you know that even we can it's measurable for 
for Mark. You know, he can measure that impact of the vision to do something different. And I think the fact that he's made such a difference in these people's lives is really the thing that he can sort of say, look, I'm not just being me, but here is the the quantitative, but we know the qualitative, the quantitative. Here's the number, but I know this is meaningful because these people tell me how much of a difference it makes. I think that that's the the fact that he, you know, he can really measure the impact of the, of his advocacy. Yeah, and and we just see it with you know, like you say, with the numbers, the, the, how many people, hundreds of people that have gone through that program that he's running. Mm. That, that, it it just speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah. But we also know that we've had a number of guests that are similarly working in the the primary care networks as ambassadors, you know, advocating for the program. Uh, Liz Lopla, um, you know, she was one. And, and, Nicola, she was, Nicola. and she read Michael Mosley's book, The Eight. As well. Uh, See? Eight, sugar, mm. eight week blood sugar diet. Yeah. Yeah, eight week. So, and I think you know, there's there's others that we've interviewed that are that are doing that quietly, whether they are the the from the PHC ambassador program, or you know, we've had you know even the GPs like David Oliver and Kim Andrews that are really doing it at various different levels. So you know, that's really great that there's different points across, obviously, mostly you know in the UK that that have these. Um, access to this information and making making real change well not just in the uk i mean you've got dr lucy and dr mary and of course um mm. you've got um peter bruckner and there's uh, some other mm. doctors uh paul mason and things so you've got those over there and there's lots of doctors now and i think that is going to make the significant difference once the doctors start pushing it or even those that already are, and there's lots of them out there. Um, we yeah. could probably, if we sat together for five minutes, we could probably brainstorm at least fifty, if not a hundred doctors that we know that we, you and I know of. We yeah. could um, probably come up with a hundred doctors that we know, and that gives people somebody to look to and say. Um, well, if they're saying that, then maybe there is something in it that mm. it's uh, okay for me to give it a go, even just give it a go. Because I remember when I started on the low-carb thing, and I was about a month in, and if anybody sees that photo of me in the orange dress back in 2017, you know, I'd already lost a half a stone at that point, seven pounds, three kilos, something like that. Um, but I was in Spain and I was there with my friend who's a nurse or a, she was a lecturer at the time. And it was only because she said that she was doing low carb and she said to me that it's not dangerous that I carried on because I think I would have been easily swayed to go back the other way if um, if I hadn't had that validation that it's okay. Because but you had been yeah. to the GP that, around that time, hadn't you? And no, no. Yeah, I remember there was a part of your story is that you had been to, maybe you'd tried it earlier or you tried some sort of thing earlier and the doctor said, no, no, no. You yeah, it wasn't my GP. He was just a, a doctor. He was just a doctor okay. and we were just okay. having a conversation. So, yeah, I'd tried 
it's sort of low carb. I've done the Tim Ferriss four hour body thing the year before. And and I'd, I was about three weeks in and missing potatoes and bread and all that stuff. So when he said, oh, no, you have to eat carbohydrates. Well, that's just what I wanted to hear. It's like he's given me permission to go and eat bread and potatoes. Um, so I went back and and that's and that might have been when that might have been the thing of having cut out the bread and the pasta and everything at that point and then going back to it. My weight just rocketed up in a year, about um, 14 pounds or something like that. 10, uh-huh. 14 pounds. Okay. But that was linked with stress and working at night and all sorts. Yeah, you had you were very stressed. Oh, just going back, just circle back to you know you was you we were saying about identifying you know people, people. So who you know doctors and I've just got the list of obviously our many guests and where where I was saying well you know there was Dr. Ian Lake. Um, obviously, then we've recently had Steve Bennett. So here is the compare and the contrast between the the health professional versus the um, you know the, that lived experience, and you know Dr. Joanne Cormack. So you know again more um, general practice people. So Campbell Murdoch, obviously we've had a specialist, Asim Mahotra. So you know we've had a number of people that are advocating. Whereas when you're saying about the Australians, shout out to Megan, so um, our Mad Creations um, thermo thermo cook, and obviously we had Dan and Erica. So not to shout out to Dan and Erica. Hope they're doing well. So we've had various obviously people. Um, shout out to our North American obviously guests as well. So um, yeah, so Lucy, Dr. Lucy. So there are obviously loads of people that are in the movement but I think what I was saying about the UK has that PHC ambassadors program so I think that's at a grassroots level the health consumer perspective is really I think is a really strong a great example that you know Australia North America should be should be replicating so um yeah you know and again, you know, really shout out to, to Sam Feldham for, you know, the PHC, the work that they're doing there. So that's where I think the organisation of the people from that lived experience who are advocating in, you know, and the PHC to be organising that. Yeah. Yeah. And But, t- um, but Dr Peter Bruckner is, has got his Correct. Sugar Foundation or Correct. what's mm. it you remember I was. Sugar by half, and he's also doing the defeat diabetes, and that's really taken off. Maybe we should get Peter back because the defeat diabetes with Paul Mason, in terms of using a um, evidence based approach for lifestyle changes, uh, seems to be really getting some traction, and he's he's linking that with research um, as well. So through one of the local universities here in Melbourne, so you know that's really growing gate gut going great guns yeah and wasn't um dr gary fetke part of that as well um yeah i can't really say yeah shout out to gary mm. i think i think he said he was working with peter mm. maybe maybe that's what's what it is yeah so anyway uh, yeah so mm. i think the other thing is is men quite often don't take their health seriously so kudos to mark for 
actually making those changes because quite often men just ignore it and just go, you know, people like Julian that would just go, eh, I don't care. So mm-hmm. kudos for Mark for really trying, even though he was doing the wrong thing initially, he really made some changes and, you know, bought into that move, move more, eat less paradigm, the doing the running, which I'm sure helped him on on many levels. Yeah, the eat less, move more. That was really what he was obviously doing. But, you know, we we also have had other men with quite significant stories. Remember, you know, Graham Curry with his fasting story. And I was just coming to mind. Yeah, Tony Royal, you know, that was the other thing. So I think, you know, there are men's stories, uh, you know, about taking men's health. And you have to ask about Australian men are particularly cultured. Maybe we have this Aussie Oka culture, Bogan culture. So that in itself is another barrier to going to a GP because they could be experiencing symptoms and recognising that going, finding a GP is a whole another story. So for men to be more aware and in tune of their health is a great message as well. Yeah. Great. When we're thinking about information, Jackie, I know that you've got a new program coming up. Yeah. So lots of people can take that information and actually not know, you know, you can absorb lots of information and not know how to apply it. So I'm running a program at the beginning of February, which is a great time when everyone else has tried their New Year's resolutions and done the same thing they did before and it doesn't really work. They've come to that time when they're thinking, oh, this is not I'm not seeing significant change. So we're starting at the beginning of February and um, it's a great it's educational. It's support. It's accountability. So there's lots of stuff. So if you're thinking of starting or if you you know, you've been off plan for a while or you've been off plan for Christmas and you just want to reset yourself and get back in the groove, then um, my 12-week New Year, New Body, New You program would be great. So you can find that at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash new hyphen year. And the link is in the show notes. And your other great tool, your journal will also be there as well. Yes. That's at um, fabulouslyketo.com forward slash journal. And, oh, you can actually get it from the front page of the website. You can get to the journal. You're talking about accountability buddies, and my accountability buddy is back in the country in the same time zone, and he is wreaking havoc, Jackie. Yes. Well, I w- in the podcast, you said, um, you because we recorded back in October, and you said, Give me a moment. I'm going to tell you what you said. You said that you didn't have an accountability buddy because Andrew was in Bangkok. So I want to know, now that he's back with you, have you further contemplated, because you were in that contemplative mood, of doing the park run? Well, park runs are Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock. That's sort of a little bit of an issue with me on a weekend having a lay-in. However, my accountability buddy is making me walk every night after supper at least anywhere between one to four 
kilometres. So I don't know how many miles that is. It's at least a good mile, two miles. And which is not quite park run, but we're getting there. Mentally, we're getting there. We're still in contemplation. Eight o'clock on a Saturday morning is will require a little bit more planning on Friday night to get it early. So, uh, But park run, yes, and there's some beautiful park runs around where I live. There's one on the beach, which is, would just be delightful this time of year in summer. And there is one around uh, a park or a reserve, so with nature, a nature one. So I have the best of both worlds. Yeah. It will happen. It's a bit like the Pantene ad. It doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen. My accountability buddy has been laid the challenge. So I've told him that that's what we're doing. It's not yet materialised. Early days, yeah. (laughs) Good luck. So just remind the listeners where we can find the show notes for this episode. So the show notes are at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash one, two, three. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.